You're listening to the Van Moody Podcast. Our passion is transforming the world by transforming lives. In today's episode, we'll talk about the side effects of life and how God can use even our pain and suffering to make us more like Jesus. Let's get started. In week two of a brand new series entitled, When God Goes Off Script. Now, the title of this series is designed to provoke a paradox because the title suggests that God gives us a script, that God literally gives us all of the details and the clues about how our life would flow. But in reality, he doesn't do that. While God does know the end from the beginning, God doesn't make all of those details clear to us up front. God doesn't give us a script. But even though God doesn't give us a script, what's interesting is we make one up anyway. We often create our own script of how we want our life to flow and how we want the details of our life to kind of uh, work out. And here's the irony. We make up our own script and then we expect God to follow it. But the truth is, God doesn't follow our script for life. Sometimes the unexpected happens often. God doesn't follow the plans that we have created for ourselves. And so God, in essence, does go off script. And one of the biggest questions of life is how do you handle it when that happens? What do you do when God goes off script and the stuff that you never expected begins to happen? I believe that this is a question that we have to ask more and more because it does feel like the unexpected is happening more often. I mean, think about it. No one expects a gunman to enter into a church, a house of worship, and begin to harm people. But it happened just last week. No one expects the epidemic that our great city is now facing with the amount of kids, children, that have been killed because of gun violence, unnecessary gun violence, but it's happening. And often when these horrific, unexpected events happen, when these things take place, here's the first question that many people raise. Where is God? Or here's another question that people often raise. How could God allow this to happen? Because based on our limited perspective, it looks like, it feels like God has gone off script. But in reality, many of these negative things don't have anything to do with God at all. As a matter of fact, I believe that they happen because of something that are called the side effects of life. That's what we want to deal with in this second installment of this series, When God Goes Off Script. I want to talk for a moment about the side effects of life. How many of you have seen those commercials that seem to be on television all the time now? They're, they're pharmaceutical commercials. They're pushing a new product, a new drug, and you know maybe it's allergy relief or migraines or something, and they paint in the commercial. For much of the commercial, they paint this wonderful picture about this, this new drug, this new product. You know, get your joy back. You know, live the life you were meant to live. And, and, and then they, they paint this beautiful picture, and then right at the end, 
I guess they have to do this by law, right? There's this litany of all of the possible side effects. And sometimes the guy's like talking so fast, you can barely make it out. Make all the... You know, it's like they, 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 they show you people like dancing through the field and, you know, you know, take two of these and you won't have back pain anymore. And then at the end, it says, uh, caution may cause back pain, <laughs> may cause suicidal tendencies, you know, may cause your teeth to fall out, you know, but, but live the life you were meant to live. <laughs> it's like, like, come on. And these commercials are scary, um, funny at times, but they also point to an undeniable reality in that there are side effects to things. As a matter of fact, there's side effects to life. Life is great. Life is full of purpose and potential, joy and adventure. God even says it in, in, in Jesus when, when Jesus says in John 10 and 10, he says it through Jesus. He says, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. Paul says that even to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6 and 17, he says, God richly gave us all things to enjoy. And so, yes, life is full of promise. It's full of vim and vigor. It's full of possibility. But at the same time, there are also side effects to life. What are those side effects? Pain and suffering, heartache, heartbreak, disappointment, broken relationships, crime, abuse victimization, and even death, particularly unnecessary death. And this is not something that Jesus shot away from, and so neither should we. Jesus, Jesus literally says it in John 16 and 33, and you can follow along with me in your Bible on the screen or, or in the TWC app with the notes, because Jesus does say this. He addresses this issue of the side effects of life. He says in John 16 and verse 33, he says, I, I've told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. Why? Because in this world you will have trouble. One translation says you will have tribulation. He says, but take heart because I've already overcome the world. In essence, you will have the trouble, the difficulty, but that does not overshadow or eclipse who I am and who you have in me, what you have in me. He says it in John 16, but then... Ecclesiastes earlier in chapter 9 and verse 12 says this. It says that people can never predict when hard times might come. Like fish in a net or birds in a trap, people are caught by sudden tragedy. So Jesus says trouble is inevitable. But he never says why. Jesus, in essence, deals with the what. He says in this life you will have trouble. That's the what. Ecclesiastes deals with the wind. He says you can't predict it. You'll be caught in sudden tragedy, like, like fish in a net or birds in a trap. You won't be able to know when it's coming, but it will come. Jesus deals with the what? Ecclesiastes deals with the wind, but neither of them explain the why. And this question of why has been the question at the forefront of, of people for, for centuries, ever since Really, the beginning of time, people have wrestled with why are there difficulties? Why does the unexpected happen? That question of why is at the heart of the book of Job. And Job is the oldest book in the Bible. So get this, chronologically speaking, the oldest recorded written book of the Bible 
is the book of Job? And what is the issue at the heart of the book of Job? Why does the unexpected happen? Why do we have to deal with difficulty and tragedy? If you read the Psalms, often the psalmist will, will raise these same questions. And they're questions that, that, that God is not afraid of us asking. And I want you to hear this because some of us today are asking those same questions because the reality of it is, it feels like God has gone off script in many of our own lives. I'm teaching to some of you today, right now, and even prior to this service at one of our other campuses, and I was in the lobby shaking hands. I spent time praying for individuals who said, I need prayer for this, and I need prayer for that because, because this series and this message is speaking to where I am right now in this season of my life, and I understand that. I'm, I'm talking to some of you that have dealt with tremendous loss. You've gone through tremendous pain. Maybe it's a loss of a loved one, a loss of a marriage, a loss of, 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 of something that you held dear. Maybe it's illness or suffering, but, but it feels like there's been a season for many individuals where the unexpected has, has been happening. And, and for many people, the question is, why, God, why? And I wish that I could stand here and give you a really neat and perfectly put together answer and said, it says, this is what God is doing. I, I can't do that. But what I can tell you is even when we don't know all of the answers, this is why God still calls us and created us to be people of faith. Because God doesn't explain everything to us. But he does give us what we need to trust him. As a matter of fact, when we deal with these kind of challenges, I'm glad that God is not small enough for us to understand him. But he's big enough for us to trust him. And, and trusting God is important because it means we may not have all the answers, but even without all the answers, God gives us what we need to have wisdom and guidance and, and comfort and, and some level of, of understanding. We may not understand all of it, but, but God does give us what we need to, to trust his wisdom and his guidance. And he gives us the comfort we need to make it through the seasons when it feels like the unexpected is occurring. Paul even says it this way. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 12, he says, you know, we see through a glass darkly. He says, but then there will be a day where we'll understand and see it face to face. He says, now we only know in part. He says, but then, meaning there will be a day when, when we shall really know as we are also known. He, he says that there are seasons of life when, when you kind of see through a glass darkly. Or one translation says dimly, meaning you, you can't see everything. You don't have all of the answers. But, but, but God is so amazing in that he gives us what we need to make it through those seasons. Let me explain it this way. A few months ago, my wife and I, um, we were flying back in. Um, to town and to save a few dollars, we ended up flying into Atlanta and just driving to Birmingham. Sometimes, you know, the plane fare, you can save uh, just a few pennies by, by flying into Atlanta. And that's what we did. We flew back into Atlanta and got our car and got on um, 20 to drive back to Birmingham. And uh, shortly after we got outside of Atlanta, right there on 20, the bottom just fell out of the sky. I mean, it began to storm. Uh, I mean, rain, just torrential rain. So much so, 
that here I am driving on 20 and I lost visibility. I, I really couldn't see maybe but a foot or so in front of the car. And it was a very scary time. I was nervous. I was trying to figure out what should I do because I could barely make out the white line in the highway just to determine that I was still kind of in the right lane on the highway. I mean, visibility was poor. And I began to just pray, Lord, Lord, help me. And I, I don't want to have an accident. I don't want to harm myself or my wife. I want to make it back home safely to our children and our home. Lord, what, what should I do? Lord, help me. And I was just driving and praying. And then all of a sudden, an 18-wheeler pulled out around us. And he was barreling down the highway. And I'm thinking, well, I guess this weather doesn't stop him or bother him. But he's just barreling down the highway and he pulls out in front of us and gets right in front of us and, and then is just rolling. And I couldn't really see anything on the truck except for his taillights. All I could make out was a taillight. And so, so what I said is, well, well, let me just follow him. If, if I can, I can't really see any other cars around me, but if I can follow those lights, I think I'll make it. And that's what I ended up doing. We, we followed that truck, followed the lights on that truck through the storm. Well, what I'm trying to get you to understand is that in the same way, when we deal with, with the side effects of life, sometimes you're not able to see that well. Sometimes you don't have the greatest of visibility. Sometimes you don't understand all of the things and have all of the answers. But God is so awesome in that he's faithful and that he will provide points of light that, that, that will guide us through the difficulty. Just, just points that if you can follow those lights, you can make it through the storms and the difficulties and the times of uncertainty. And so the question then that has to be asked is, what are those points of light? I'm glad you asked. Let me give you a couple of them today. Point of light number one, God is not the creator of evil and suffering. Number one, God is not the creator of evil and suffering. This is a big point of light. See, often in the face of difficulty and issues, here's what people say. Well, now, wait a minute. Why didn't God? You know, he is omniscient. He is all-powerful, so you say. Why didn't he create a world where there were no problems, where there were no evil and no suffering? Why didn't he just create that kind of world in the first place? He did. The answer to that question is he did. This is why in Genesis 1.31, it says that God looked at everything he made, and it was very good. It was very good. So then the question is, if God is not the author of the evil and the sufferings of life, if what he created is good, then where did all of this foolishness come from in the first place? The answer has to do with the fact that God in his, his sovereignty and his wisdom decided to give us free will. Why did God give us free will? Because the, the greatest and highest value in life is love. The Bible says that God is love, that he put him in us. We were created in his image. What was God after? Love. But love only exists in an atmosphere of free will. Love implies a choice. I had, I had a, um, those dolls, you know, um, like Raggedy Ann and Andy. Anybody remember those dolls back in the day? And, and I had toys that, that, that when I was growing up as a kid, you would like pull 
the string and the toy would just say something. You know, if you had a doll and you pulled the string and the doll said, I love you, would that doll really love you? No. Because the doll was programmed to say that. That's not real love. Love in involves a choice of free will, meaning for you to really express love, you got to be able to make that choice. So you got to be able to make the choice to not love in order for your expression of love to mean anything. And so knowing this, God created a world where he gave his creation, human beings, humankind, the ability to have free will. And he knew that that meant that some would choose him and some would not choose him. And, and that's where we get all of this stuff in the first place, because some people have abused that free will. Some people have rejected God and walked away from him. And as a result, we've introduced two kinds of evil into the world. The first kind of evil is something called moral evil. Moral evil. Moral evil is, is when the immaturity and, and the pain and the suffering that, that we create, we created because of our choices to be selfish and arrogant and abusive and uncaring. That's moral evil. When we create problems because of the decisions that we have made. This is why Romans 3 and 23 literally says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What does that mean? It means that we have done some stuff wrong. There are a number of things that we've done that resulted in pain and problems for ourselves and for others. One scholar even suggests that 95% of all of the issues in the world were the result of sinful, messed up decisions that harmed us and harmed others. So this means, for an example, I can take this hand and I could pick up a weapon and I can harm someone. Or I can take this hand and I can use this hand to help someone. This is part of the reason why as a church, our main thing is we want you to know God and find freedom and discover your purpose and then help us get on the dream team. Help us to make a difference. That's why we do things like Operation Help and Hope where, where we're going into downtown and feeding and clothing and, and just making a difference in the life of people. That, that's part of the reason why everything we do in this church is designed to win more people to Christ. Because the more people that are introduced to Christ, then what happens? The better the decisions they make. I'm teaching better than you're responding. But now if I use this hand to pick up a weapon and harm somebody, you can't say, well, where is God? He's where he's always been. How'd this happen? God, what are you doing? No, this wasn't God. It was a stupid decision that I made, teach pastor. It's moral evil. The second kind of evil that was introduced because of this is, is natural evil. Let me tell you what natural evil is. Natural evil are things like earthquakes and tornadoes, um, hurricanes, all of this crazy weather that's destroying nature and our earth, this, this natural phenomena of evil and the stuff that ends up causing pain and suffering, this is also a result of sin. When sin entered the world, sin didn't just mess up humanity. Sin messed up God's creation. The earth was affected. This is why Romans 8 and 22 says, for, for, for we know that up until the present time, all of creation groans with pain like a, like a child 
uh, like, a, like a pain of childbirth, like a woman, one translation says, uh, birthing a child. That's Romans 8 and 22. What does it mean? It means that, that the, the, the natural disasters that have been happening over and over and over again, sometimes, I mean, right behind each other, it's a result of sin. Humanity not only fell, the earth, God's creation fell. It's the earth groaning. It's groaning. Some people say, well, couldn't God have foreseen all of this? Couldn't he have known he's omniscient? Couldn't he have known that people are going to rebel against him? Since he saw all of that in advance, couldn't he have done something about it? Why did he create all of this in the first place? Well, it's really easy for me to explain that to you, particularly if you're a parent. Because before you and your husband decided or you and your wife decided to have children, you knew in advance that there was a chance that your children could grow up and become a pain in your side. You knew that it was a chance that, that, that maybe they, they, they wouldn't be born healthy or, or maybe they would reject you or maybe they would, would be a source of heartache and heartbreak and make bad decisions and reject your wisdom. You knew all of that, but you also knew that there was a chance for love that is indescribable. You also knew that there was a chance that that they would grow up to be the apple of your eye and to extend your legacy and to be used of God to do, to do something significant and meaningful. And with the risk, you still decided to have children. It's the same thing with God. God knew that there were people who would rebel against him, people who would reject him, but he also knew that there are people who would choose to follow him and to love him and spend eternity with him. And that was worth the risk. Worth the suffering of even sending Jesus to die on a cross for you and I. You got to know that God didn't cause the evil and the suffering of this world. Point number two, it's another point of light. Although suffering is not good, although God didn't cause it, God will use it to accomplish good. God didn't cause it, but he will use it. Y'all still with me? Let me give you a couple of, of ways that this happens often. Number one, God uses pain to draw people towards Christ. God will use pain to draw people towards Christ. I honestly believe that, that the meaning behind sometimes pain and suffering is that it just simply leads us to repentance. You see it all through Scripture. It wasn't until there were problems and difficulties that the nation of Israel really began to cry out to the Lord. Often the reality is we just learn the hard way. Great theologian C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, God whispers to us in our pleasure. He speaks to our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. That God uses pain as the megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And if you could be honest, that's the story of your life. It was the story of my own life. I mean, think about it. When everything's going great, you know, when the dog is behaving the way you want him to behave, when the money's rolling in, when the marriage is good, when friends are right, when everything is lined up, we don't really need God that much. Oh, but let stuff start falling apart. Let some challenges and some problems roll in. And start so saying, God, where are you? Uh, God, God, hello, anybody on the line? God, I need you right up and through here. Problems have a way of changing our focus. 
I love 2 Corinthians 7 and 10. It says this. It says, for God sometimes uses, notice he doesn't create it, but he uses sorrow in our lives to help us turn away from sin and seek eternal life. And it goes on and says, and we should never regret him sending it. Oh, that's so good. Often tell people that whatever it was that got you to God was worth it. Often tell them, whatever, whatever it took for you to get to God, it was worth it. People say, well, you just don't know my story. And I said, that's okay. I don't have to know all of your story. I do know that your story was necessary because if your story led you to God, then it was worth it. It's kind of like, like the prodigal son in Luke 15 squanders everything and then says, when he's in the pig pen, flat on his face, he comes to himself. Whatever your pig pen scenario was, it was worth it. Whatever it was that took you to come to yourself and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, my father has got stuff, and why am I struggling like this? It was worth it. And there are people who often say, yeah, but pastor, I just, I hate that I wasted so much time and I squandered this. And my response to them is, it doesn't matter what you lost or what you wasted or what you squandered, because your father always has more of it. Don't you remember when the prodigal son goes home? Even though he squandered everything that he had, his father still had the fatted calf and the ring and the robe. And he says, throw a party because my son who was lost is now found. God can restore whatever it is you lost. But whatever it is that it took for you to get to him was worth it. Give you another example of how God uses pain. God uses pain, number two, to sharpen our character. God will use it. He doesn't cause it, but God will use it to help us to look more and more and more like Jesus. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 5, he said, we, we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know, he says, there's something that God does in his suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. He says it's painful, but God does something in it. I, I went to see one of my doctors the other day and um, she's had me on this regimen, and uh, she, she was looking at, like, numbers and stuff, and she was like, oh, my goodness, this is amazing. Oh, your numbers are exactly where I want them to be. So proud of you. Oh, my goodness, you, you're really knocking it out of the park. You've been following the plan. She's had me on this, this plan. I've been eating, eating stuff. I don't even know how to pronounce. I've been eating a whole green stuff and, and, and working out and running six days a week, and has it been fun? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. You just don't, don't feel my pain. It's not, it's, absolutely not. I'm fiending right now for some IHOP. I'm telling you, maple syrup, buttermilk pancakes. Okay, maybe that's not your thing. But, but I've been eating a whole bunch of green stuff, working out, and it's been hard. It's been hard, but it's been productive. It hadn't been fun, but it's been healthy. Are you following me? Often, our character development and growth follows the same pattern. It takes sacrifice. It takes trials. Sometimes it takes difficulty. But God uses that to help shape us to look more and more and more and more like Jesus. Even the Bible says this in Hebrews. It says, listen, but even though he was the son of God, talking about Jesus, how did he learn obedience? By his sufferings. In his humanity... Jesus learned obedience through suffering, through difficulty, through challenges. Now, here's the question. If this was true for the Son of God, 
What makes you think that God won't do the same thing in your life? Teach Pastor Van. I am doing it. I'm teaching better than you responded. Here's, here's the third thing. Here's the third thing. Another example of how God uses our pain. He doesn't cause it, but he uses it. God uses pain to lovingly discipline his children for their own good. Mm. Look at Hebrews 12 and verse 10. It says, our fathers disciplined us for a little while while they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Now, I know I'm not going to get any amens right there because we normally don't associate discipline with something good. And that's because we often confuse discipline with punishment. Punishment is retribution for something we've done in the past. Discipline is correction in our present so that our future is better. Teach, Pastor. Okay, so, so I had to discipline my son Ethan uh, a few months ago, and he, he pulled out the Jesus card on me, right? You know, in Christian school, you know, bringing out Christian themes. So I said, go upstairs, son. We got to deal with this. And like he was, I don't know, auditioning for some British play, like Fiddler on the Roof or something. He said, Father, please, Father, please, can I, can I have mercy, Father? Please, Father, mercy. I said, man, you don't get upset. I said, please, mercy, Father, mercy, Father. You know, I said, take your pants down. Please, mercy, 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 Father. <laughs> I was like this dude. Mercy and mercy. I don't like disciplining my children. But I do what I don't like because I love them. Because I understand that there's a great destiny that God has for them. But if, if they don't adjust the path that they're on, they will forfeit the future. Hmm that they're destined for. Some of you can't praise God right through here because, because you're in a season of discipline. But you got to remember, God sees the whole picture. You're only looking at where you are right now, but God knows that up ahead, if there's not correction where you are, you're going to forfeit the future that he has for you. Here's, here's the fourth piece of way, uh, way that God uses pain. Here's the good news. God can accomplish something positive out of the negatives of life. This is why we are people of hope. This is why we don't just give up when the worst happens because God has a way of taking what the enemy meant for bad and turning it around and making it mean for our good. How do we know that? We know it because he made a promise to us in Romans 8 and 28. And we know that all things, in all things, God works. Notice it doesn't say that he created all things, that he caused all things. It says that he works in all things. God works for the good of them who love him and have been called according to his purpose. God says, no matter where you find yourself, I can still work in that to get you where I need you to be and to bring something good out of even the worst situations. One of my favorite examples of this is in John 11, when Jesus is, is preaching somewhere and he finds out he gets word that Lazarus is sick. 
It says, now a man named Lazarus was sick and he was in Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, Lazarus' brother, it was the same one who poured perfume on Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. So he's got a relationship with these people. This is not casual. So the sisters sent word as soon as Lazarus was sick. They said, well, we got to let Jesus know. Lazarus is his, his dude. That's his, that's his bruh. Send word, let Jesus know. Lazarus is sick. So sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said, oh, this sickness is not unto death. One translation says it will not end in death. And so he stayed where he was two more days. Why aren't you coming quickly? I'm praying, God, and I haven't gotten an answer yet. What's taking you so long? He stays where he is. He doesn't pack up and say, well, let's get to Lazarus's house. He stays where he is for two more days. And the disciples don't even get it. They're like, well, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You love Lazarus. We know that that's your man. Don't you want to hurry up and get there? And he says, let me explain something to you. This is around verse 14. He says, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm kind of glad I wasn't there so that you may believe. But let's go ahead and go to him. He says, in other words, I didn't cause this, but I'm kind of glad it happened because I can get some glory out of this. I can use this in a way that's still going to get you to where I know God needs you to be. And I love it because when he gets to the house, the, the, the sisters have an attitude, heads are rolled. I can't really prove that they were people of color, but I'm willing to bet you anything that the sisters, you know, because they were like, if you would have been here, you know, my brother would not have died. And he just says, listen, okay, just show me where you laid him. He's not going to engage in conversation about why did this have to happen, God, and I can't believe. He says, no, 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 no. If you let me, I can still bring good out of this. And this is a word for somebody because you have a, a tendency to err on the attitudinal side, but God is saying, I can still, no matter how bad it is, bring something good out of even what you perceive to be the worst. If you're willing to show me where you laid him. Show me where you put the stuff that you thought was dead and over and nothing was going to come out of it. God says, I am the resurrection and the life. I can bring dead marriages back to life, dead careers back to life, dead situations back to life because he can bring something positive out of even the most negative. Here's another point of light. Follow the light. Here's another point of light. The day is coming when suffering will cease and when evil will be judged. That day is coming. And a lot of times, here's what I hear people say when we deal with difficulties. Well, if God is so powerful, I mean, he's omnipotent, Pastor. I hear you teaching about him. I mean, if he's got all power, why didn't he just eradicate evil now? Why didn't he just take care of, of all of this foolishness and the stuff we're dealing with now? Well, wait a minute. Before you criticize God, because he's not coming and working as fast as you'd like him to work. It's, it's kind of like reading a great novel, but you only read maybe like the first three chapters and you put it down and say, oh, that's junk. I can't believe people like that book. It doesn't make any sense to me. Well, it doesn't make any sense to you because you didn't read the whole book. Oh, you're kind of quiet there. Okay, let me explain this way. My wife, uh, she said, you know, I've been hearing about this show called This Is Us and she said, baby, I want, I want, let's watch it together. 
And I'm like, eh, I don't want to watch this show. I don't want to watch this show. Come on. She said, but let's just do it together. It'll be something we can watch together. <laughs> and so, you know, brothers, I was like suffering through it. Like, okay. So we, I don't know, downloaded the first show or whatever. And I'm sitting through it like, see, I'm like, uh, how much, how, how long is this show? About halfway through, I was like, this is not good. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm suffering for you, sweetie, but I don't want to watch this. She said, well, just watch it to the end. About five minutes before it ended, the conclusion dropped, the whole point of the whole episode, and I was like, Ooh, oh, my gosh, and we were crying. I was like, <laughs> she crying, I'm crying. I'm like, oh, my goodness, this show is so good. <laughs> 10 o'clock at night, I had to get up at 4 in the morning. I'm like, no, so we'll go ahead and watch the next episode. Let's <laughs> I mean, I think in like two weeks, we watched the whole season. You know what I mean? But what's the point? Had I not watched the show to the end, I would have missed everything. I'm teaching to some of you today, and, and you, you're, you're mad because you think, oh, this is stupid. There's no point to this. But wait a minute. The book is not over yet. You hadn't gotten to the end of the show yet. God does promise that there is a day when, when evil will be judged and he will deal with all of the foolishness, but you got to wait until the end of the show. And I know some people get upset because they say, well, wait a minute, he's not moving fast enough. How could that guy get away? How could they do this and get away with that? They're not getting away with anything. Please understand that when, when Jesus returns, they are going to be judged, and he will judge every person and hold them accountable for the stuff that they've done. They're not going to get away with anything. And I know what you're thinking. Well, if that's the case, why doesn't God just judge them now? Why didn't he do it now? Get him, God. That's what we're thinking. Like, get, get him. Yeah, right there. Get him, God. I'll tell you why God doesn't come back and do it now. It's because of love. It's because of love. Second Peter 3 and verse 9 says this. It says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness, meaning he may not be moving as quickly as you want him to move. But why? Because he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God is saying, I'm holding back the curtain of history. I haven't allowed the final curtain to close yet because I'm holding it back waiting on you. He says, I want you to come to repentance. There's some of you that are, that, are, that are watching me, listening to me, sitting in one of our campuses, and God has you on his mind because you haven't come to know him yet. And he said, if I was to consummate history right now, you'd be left out. He says, so I'm, I'm, I'm holding back the curtains of history, waiting on you to give your life to me because I want to spend eternity with you. Here's another point. I'm, I'm, I'm out of time, but I want to see if I can give these to you very quickly. Point of light number four. Our sufferings, our problems, our issues will pale in comparison to what God has in store for his followers, for us. Please understand this. And I'm not saying this to belittle or to devalue or to minimize your pain, your challenges, your suffering. I'm not saying that. To do that. What I am saying though is that what God has in store for you, when it's all said and done, will make what you've been through a minor blip on the radar screen of your life. 
I'm not trying to minimize what you've been through, but I am trying to get you to understand that in the grand scheme of things, God's got something so much greater for you. I want to show you this verse, and and I want you to know that this verse was written by the Apostle Paul, who was beaten, who was shipwrecked, who was imprisoned. I mean, who was thirsty and homeless. Folk tried to try to beat him. I mean, just beat him to death, you know. And he experienced far more than 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 most people did. But yet, he says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us a far more eternal weight. One translation says an eternal glory that far outweighs everything that we've been through. Get this. Now, he was, he was whipped 39 times with 39 lashes five times in his life. Five times he was beat by a whip and got 39 lashes. And the thing about this whip is it was made of leather and bone, which means on the end of the whip, there were pieces of bone. And so when the torturer would would swing that whip, it would dig into his flesh, the bone would. And when they pull it back, it literally ripped pieces of his flesh off of his back. 39 lashes, five times. He was shipwrecked. People on a couple of other occasions took rocks and beat him basically to death. But yet he says, they're light and momentary troubles. He says, but I know that God is doing something great in it. I, I, know, I know that when it's all said and done, that, that it's going to have a greater weight, an eternal weight. He even says in Romans 8 and 18, I consider these present sufferings. He says, I consider these present sufferings not worth even comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed in us. It's kind of like Stephen when he was stoned. says that he, he looked up and saw the glory of God and saw Jesus standing that's, Jesus literally, you know, when he ascended, the Bible says he, he took his seat. But when Stephen was being stoned, he was so busy focusing on Jesus, Jesus standing, that he couldn't even focus on the stoning. Jesus was literally giving Stephen a standing ovation. Because when you can focus on what is coming beyond what you've been through. Uh, okay. So let me explain it this way. I got... Three amens right here. Um, let me see if I can explain it this way. Let's just say hypothetically that on the first day of 2017, right, it is the worst day ever, however you define that. You know, you go in for a root canal, the anesthesia wears off, you know, midway into the root canal. So just pain, right? So you're in intense pain. You get in your car. You total your car. Your wife comes to pick you up. You total her car, right? So the marriage is a mess, right? You go home, uh, you find out uh, that you're being laid off, you know. I mean, it's just, it just, it's horrible. You open up your 401k, you realize that your stocks took a nosedive, you know, your friend is out on Facebook or social media saying negative things about you, spreading rumors. It's just a horrible day. That's the first day of 2017. But on day two, you find out that you've got a wealthy uncle who's going to give you your inheritance early. So he just gives you $42 million and then you get a new job and you get promoted to the position you always wanted. And then Time Magazine puts your face on the cover as the person of the year. The marriage gets better overnight, I'm sure. Right? You take a two-month vacation and go to Tahiti or someplace. 
First day of 2018, a friend comes to you and says, hey, how was your 2017? What are you going to say? It was amazing. <laughs> but, but they're going to say, wait a minute, didn't you tell me that on day one, you had a toothache and a root canal didn't work and you told her the cars and all of that? And you're going to say, yeah, yeah. But in light of everything else, that ain't nothing. That's what I'm trying to tell you about the will of God. You can stop where you are and focus on this, or you can see that in light of what God has for you, the pain and the suffering will pale in comparison to the blessings that he has for you. I love this story. I got I to gotta go. I'm out of time. But I want to tell you this story before I close. I read this story recently about a pastor in Britain who went to see a boy, and this, this boy was 17 years old, and was paralyzed. And the boy's paralyzed because early in life, he fell down um, stairs and broke his back and was paralyzed. And the pastor went in to pray for the boy, and the boy said, I'm good, I'm good, pastor, I'm good. I love the Lord. The Lord is fair. And the pastor said, well, wait a minute. How could you say that the Lord is fair? He said, how old are you? He said, I'm 17 years old. He said, how long have you been paralyzed? He said, for 10 years. He said, well, wait a minute, how could you say the Lord is fair? He said, what are you talking about? The boy said, well, I'm not really worried about now. God has all eternity to make it up to me. Wow. God has all eternity to make it up to you. But he's not just going to wait until the pie in the sky. He said he will do it now and in eternity. I want you to hear this. What you're going through now far, what God has for you far ways where you currently are. Here's the last point of light as I'm closing. We can decide whether to turn bitter or to turn to God for peace and courage when we go through what feels like God going off script. When we are faced with the side effects of life, we, we decide either we're going to turn bitter or we're going to turn to God for peace and for courage. I mentioned at the very beginning, the oldest recorded book in the Bible is the book of Job. At the heart of the book of Job is this question, why does the unexpected happen? Why am I here, God? Why am I going through this? But yet Job makes a choice. In Job 13 and verse 15, after losing his fortune, after losing his family, after getting feeble to the point that boils all over his body. His wife has gone crazy, left him. You ought to curse God and die. That's what she told him. Talk about supportive marriage. He made a choice, and he says, though, though he slay me, I don't know why I'm in this position. I don't know what I did to deserve this, but I'm going to make a choice. I'm going to turn to God and not turn bitter. He says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And here's how I know that Job was not bitter, because if you fast forward to the end of the story, in Job 42, it says that after Job prayed for his friends, his friends that showed up and said, it's your fault. I know he wasn't bitter, because the Bible says that after Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. Meaning, had he been bitter... It probably would have disqualified him from the better that God had for him. I don't know who this is for, but I hear God saying bitterness doesn't pay off. And, and until you're able to sideline the bitterness, you'll never be able to tap into the better that God has for you. 
I've seen it over and over and over again. You take two people, they go through similar situations. One becomes bitter, goes away from God. The other becomes better and runs to God. But it's our choice. Jesus said, going back to where we started as I close in John 16 and 33, he says, these things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In this world, he says, you will have tribulation, but take courage because I've overcome the world. In this one verse, he says, there are two things that I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you peace to handle the difficulties that you're dealing with now. He says, but then I'm going to give you the courage to handle those challenges that may come in the future. That, that's what we need. That's why we were singing that song earlier. Remember love. Remember mercy. Christ before me. Christ behind me. There are people, there are people who've asked me, they said, Pastor, you're just so on fire for Jesus. We don't get why you love the Lord the way you love the Lord. I love him because he's not detached. I love him because he's not aloof. He's not up in heaven twiddling his thumb saying, man, I hope they make it through that. That's not the kind of God we serve. The kind of God we serve is the God that gets down into our situation. See, the answer for what do you do when the unexpected happens is not explanations, it's incarnation. The answer for what do you do when, 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 when the unexpected happens and you're wondering why, the answer is not words, it's the word. Jesus loves us to that degree that he says, I'm not going to let you go through what you're going through by yourself. I'm going to get in it with you so that you can lean on me and depend on me. The Bible says that God is close to the brokenhearted. That's why the whole story of the three Hebrew boys is right there in the Bible for us. But because if you remember, Nebuchadnezzar throws three in there. And they look in there and say, wait a minute, didn't we? Didn't we throw three guys in this furnace? Didn't we put three guys in this problem? But there are four, and that fourth one looks like the Son of God. Because God says, I'm, I'm not going to let you go through the fire by yourself. I'm going to get in it with you. And when you come out, you will come out not even smelling like what you've been through. Oh, I wish I could preach this like I feel it, the people that were ready to receive it. The Bible says that when they came out, they didn't even smell like smoke. And then they got promoted. God says, when I'm done, you're not just going to make it through this. But you're going to be better as a result of it. When I was growing up in the church, there was something that I learned in, in, in youth ministry. And I think it's the premise of the song that we were singing earlier. And, and it said, Christ above me, Christ beneath me, Christ before me. Christ behind me, Christ in me. That's, that's how we make it through the difficulties of life. Christ above me, Christ beneath me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me. He's above us, he's covering us. He's beneath us, he's propping us up. He's in front of us, he's making ways. He's behind us. He's got our back. But he's in us. Because the tears you shed are not your own tears. If you're crying, he's crying with you. If you're sad, he's sad with you. But he says, I got you. I'm not going to let you die here. I'm not going to let you fall apart here. I don't know who this is for, but 
but he's in you right now, strengthening you. Do you know why you haven't fallen apart? It's Jesus. Do you know why you haven't lost your mind? It's Jesus. Do you know why you're still standing? It's Jesus. Listen. You got to open your heart to him. I'm teaching to some of you and some of you have yet to open your heart to Jesus. Some of you have been on the fence. You've been straddling the fence. You've been playing church. You've been playing footsies with God and one in the world. And, and I hear the Lord saying that, that the hour is drawing nigh. My grandma used to say, children, children, the, the hour is drawing nigh. I mean, like, I don't know. The curtain may be closing soon. I don't know. But I don't want to be left out and I don't want you to be left out. I want to encourage you, if you've never opened your heart to Jesus, to do it right now. I want to encourage you that if you have opened your heart to Jesus, but you don't have a church home, you don't have a, a place where you're safe, where you're around family, people that love you, community, that you make that decision today. That's what the worship center is, is here for. I want to pray for those of you who... You checked all of the other boxes, but you have been angry, frustrated because of this kind of stuff. Why God? Why did this happen? Why did that happen? And, and the unanswered questions, the lack of visibility caused you to drift. That's why God sent me here to give you these points of light. I can't answer every question, but I can tell you this. God is good. His plans for you are better than any plan you could make up on your own but you got to trust him. We hope you enjoyed this message from Pastor Van Moody. For more information about Van Moody Ministries, please visit vanmoody.org. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed week.